You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 39 of our show, where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and more. We're recording on Thursday, October 22nd, 2015. With me is Neil Hughes, our managing editor. Hi, Neil. Hey, guys. How's it going? Awesome. And also joining us today is the esteemed Mikey Campbell. Hello. How is it out there in paradise? Paradisey? I don't know. It's hot. <laughs> Amazing. So, what's the temperature out there right now? Um, right now it's in the morning, so probably like high seventies. Living the life in Hawaii. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, our morning low was like thirty. I'd rather be cold, personally. <laughs> Come for a visit sometime. When you do, I hope to have a new Apple TV which is mm-hmm. shipping next week. So, you know, the, the uh, Tim Cook said this, right? It's, it's uncharacteristic for Cook to tell us when something's happening. But he said that, that the Apple TV is launching next week. Isn't that right, Neil? I mean, I think we've gotten to a point now when if Apple says that a product is launching in a month, like a window of a month, that it's going to be like the very last day of the month, right? <laughs> it seems like they've done this. Remember when the Mac Pro was coming out? They announced it at WWDC, and they're like shipping later this year. And then uh, that fall, they were like shipping before the end of you know 2013 or whatever it was. And then it ended up shipping like December 30th or something. And it was like, I don't know that anybody actually got their hands on one in that year, but it did technically ship. So there you go. But yeah, the, the, when they announced it uh, in September, they said that the new Apple TV would ship in October, which uh, for people that have been eagerly awaiting this product, uh, including myself, we're hoping that that was a little earlier in October. But uh, they're going to start accepting orders next Monday, which would be the 26th. So presumably people will start getting them 28th, 29th, um, and then we can start enjoying apps on our TV. Now, this one's a little harder of a buying decision than the previous two generations, right? The previous two generations, the Apple TV 2, the Apple TV 3, you went into the store, you plunked down your $99 and eventually your $69, and you bought one. Here, i got to ask you, and, and maybe people don't really know this, but there are two storage sizes being offered, and price points are 149 and 199 So they're, they're telling us the difference is storage size, but it's been like nine years since Apple TV stored anything on the device with the first generation. And they don't really tell us what they're using the storage for. So how are you going to decide which one to buy, Neil? I will get the larger one. (laughs) I'm a heavy user, so I tend to, I mean, I have a 128 gig phone. So I'm I'm sure that I will fill it up somehow because that's what I do. But it's interesting that they have these two storage capacities of 32 gigabytes at 149 and 64 gigabytes at 199. uh, Because the apps... Uh, in themselves are limited to an install size of, I think, 200 megabytes. And then once you launch an app, they can pull in other data and download it from the cloud or whatever and store it locally temporarily. But you're not going to fill it up with 64 gigs worth of apps unless you install a lot of apps. Uh, you need to install hundreds of them on there in order to fill the thing up. But I've seen some speculation, too, that um, the storage might be a little more future-proof for a... Uh, Apple TV streaming service, which they're expected to launch in 2016. So you might uh, be able to, for example, like use it as a DVR, maybe record some content or save it to the cloud or something like that. You know, those kind of concepts are out there. And then there's also the 
the likelihood that in the future Apple will lift those restrictions on apps and you'll be able to install even larger apps on your Apple TV and then that would use more space. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't really sure if it was going to be web cache or applications or application data. One of the things that I think back to, and this is going back many years, is I had a, an early Voodoo system before Walmart bought the Voodoo streaming service, and the device would predictively download the kinds of movies that it thought that I liked to watch. It would get a couple of gigabytes saved up Ugh. of the movies just slowly over time. So that when I started, that's what, one, that's what TiVo did too, where it would go, oh, you like this, so maybe you like this, and it'll record a bunch of junk. Well, right, but Netflix does this too with suggestions for you. Yeah, except it doesn't download it. Would would go ahead and in the background have some so that when you said you wanted to watch something, it started instantly. And you like that? Well, it was kind of cool. And the other thing that they did was they did, you, you know how um, some file sharing services like BitTorrent, for example, when you're pulling bits down, you're also sharing them and uploading them back to everyone else? So they would do that, too, where instead of being a central server that had all the bandwidth, they would have you also sharing bits of pieces of it back up to everyone else so that it was a, a almost a mesh of, of everyone having that preloaded, pre-buffered mount. And there was something to that. There was something to being able to start it immediately instead of the today's current Apple TV experience where you press play and you wait a few minutes. That's pretty quick for me, and I still have the Gen 2 model. Yeah, but you, you still see it buffering, right? It starts almost instantly for me. I haven't really had many issues with it. You guys, you guys have problems with it? I don't. Right. So I've got <laughs> I've got 50 meg down Time Warner service, and I see it buffer. How long? Uh, you know, it, it I press play, and it says, your movie will be ready in about a minute. Oh, uh, well, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not really watching iTunes movies on there. I mostly am using my uh, Apple TV for HBO now and uh, whatever the equivalent is for Showtime, uh, the streaming services. Okay, so I, I see this primarily with iTunes movies, and I rent them periodically. You know, I, I also use Netflix. I also use Hulu. I don't have the HBO or Showtime subscriptions anymore. I, I ran out the trials, but uh, I... I, uh, periodically, you know, once or twice a month, maybe I'll rent a movie, and that's where I see that. But as you say, if they're doing a streaming service, then they could use it to pre-buffer the things that you they know you want to stream. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't I, it? Does that stuff ever actually work, though? Does it really know what you want to watch? Mm, well, Hulu should damn well know what I want to watch, because I've I've watched enough of the episodes of a show. They should know that I want to watch more of those episodes, and they could pre-fetch them yeah, for I me. Yeah, I guess. You know, if it's TV shows, they can pre-fetch. Can't they? Yeah, I, I think it would be better for like a DVR type service. You know, if, if Apple's, I mean, in theory, they wouldn't even need to to save it locally on your system, right? If Apple's streaming all this stuff and they're streaming live TV, uh, they would have recordings of everything on their servers and they could just serve it up to you, right? Yeah. In theory. I mean, there's all kinds of patents for cloud-based DVR systems that even Apple owns, right? Mikey, you've covered a few of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the future. So, so Mikey, we asked Neil. Neil's going big. He's going to get whatever the maximum is, which is 64 gig today. What are you getting? I'm probably going to get 64 as well, just because I don't buy an Apple TV every generation. I think I'm running the second generation as well, just like Neil. I skipped the third. So... Just for future proofing purposes, 
I'll probably get the 64. And it's worth noting that we did get um, CBS All Access and NBC apps for Apple TV second and third gen this week. And so those now, are the ones that are signed up for a, a potential Apple streaming service, aren't they? Well, well, no, ABC would be the first one signed up because uh, ABC is owned by Disney, of which Laureen Powell Jobs is the largest single shareholder, uh, and they have a very close relationship for a number of reasons. Uh, but I think the assumption is that ABC is first on board with any streaming service, and CBS has said that it's probably an inevitability that they'll sign up, but I think CBS is the most clout because they're the they have the highest ratings on broadcast. But by getting CBS and their subscription service, which is I think six dollars a month, and NBC and their streaming service, which is free if you have cable, uh, now Apple has the quote unquote big four networks all available on Apple TV. Uh, so you get Fox, ABC, NBC, and CBS. Cool. But it's not none of it's live TV. It's on demand stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm currently using Hulu, and when I run Hulu under the no ads, no commercials uh, subscription, they run commercials at the beginning and end of the show, which <laughs> is frustrating for a no commercials plan. And, I, and I, should, uh, I should correct myself, by the way, because someone's going to complain. The CBS All Access does have some live streaming in select markets. If you pay them $6 a month for something you can get for free over the air with rabbit ears. But also shipping, besides the Apple TV, is the iPad Pro. So I have to ask, are you guys going to get an iPad Pro? Or are you going to get the Apple Pencil? I am getting an iPad Pro. I don't think I'm going to get the Pencil. But that's what it's all about. So, I don't draw, so and my handwriting's garbage. <laughs> this, Mikey, this are you getting the Pencil? All of that. It's magic. Um, I'm not sure yet. Maybe. I, I really like it, but I don't really... Uh, I don't know if it, it it's going to be useful for me. I'm not an artist, not a graphic designer, so um, I'm going to be awesome to have a bigger screen and just lounge around and browse the web and stuff. But it's kind of a big investment for that kind of uh, that kind of use. Yeah. I think. So, so how do you think you guys are going to use the iPad Pro? I mean, I know Neil, you're really hot on the smart connector. Is this like a mm -hmm. laptop replacement kind of thing for you, or what? What's what are you thinking? How do you use this? I mean, it's not going to replace my MacBook Pro, let's be real. Um, as much as I would love for it to replace my MacBook Pro, we're just not there yet. Uh, it's going to take a few years. But um, I really like my iPad uh, for a lot of different reasons, um, and I find myself using it in very different situations all the time. Uh, sometimes as a laptop replacement, sometimes just to read, sometimes to stream TV or something like that. Uh, like, uh, this past weekend I was upstate New York and I was watching the, uh, Gator football game on TV and I have an NHL, ga uh, game center subscription and I wanted to watch a hockey game on there as well. And so I had my TV and I had my iPad and I was doing both at once. And then the next thing I knew I was using it to look something up and I was, you know, it's, it's just such a versatile device that having that bigger screen and having that additional connectivity with a smart connector is I think just going to make it grow in my life and be something that I'm using in, in new and different ways. Thank you for that advertisement, Neil. <laughs> this really part of our show has been sponsored a, by Neil and the iPad Pro. I'm, I'm excited for the smart connector accessories. I, I want to see what people do. I want to see stuff beyond keyboards. I want to see desktop-style docks. I want to see mobile keyboards. I want to see everything that people do with it. 
unfortunately, it's going to take a few years. You know, uh, accessory makers kind of there has to be a market for it, and they got to R and D and all that kind of stuff. But I predict two, three years down the road, uh, the smart connector is going to be the main uh, selling point of an iPad. That's bold. That is a really bold prediction. I, I think the lightning connector does more than the smart connector does. Well, the lightning connector does more than the smart connector does because it's been around for three or four years now. Well, and we have because all these it has accessories. a lot more connectivity, has a lot more bandwidth on it. Right. Well, we don't really know the technical specifications of it, really. And honestly, they could improve it next year or do something. But, you know, the, the future on this stuff is making it easy to connect. This is the entire purpose of the iPad is seamless, easy access friendly computing. And if I can just snap my iPad onto some accessory or uh, snap some accessory onto my iPad, uh, depending on the scenario, uh, I think that's a huge selling point. And I think they could build an entire market of of new ecosystem around that connector alone. And and eventually, a next generation smart connector could replace the lightning port entirely uh, if you could use it to charge. Uh, Again, bold. I I can't see them doing anything to, to age out lightning soon. No, I mean they they're they doubled down on lightning recently, but you gotta right, look the, five the ten years in the future. Pencil uses lightning. <laughs> right, but you gotta look five, ten years in the future. That's where it's headed. I mean, we already have induction charging on our Apple Watch. This stuff is inevitable. It's just a matter of time until we get there. Yeah. I'll give I you actually that. had a, uh I, I had a uh, interesting thought this week, and I may be the only person that cares about this, but I'll share it anyhow, because hey, uh I <laughs> am excited for the leash accessory for the Apple TV, which plugs into the lightning port, which allows you to use the controller like a Wii remote so you don't throw it at your flat screen and break it. I'm excited for that accessory because I want to use it with my iPhone and use it as a little wrist uh, thing for my iPhone when I go around and shoot photos. So a Japanese girl. No. So a few months ago. Mike, um, you know what I'm talking about, right? The little things that that you attach to to the handle to your... He is a Japanese girl. Yes, uh, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, a few months ago, for a gift for my wife, I bought a really cool accessory from uh, uh, Photo Jojo, uh, which is a cool website with a bunch of you know photographers' accessories and stuff. And she's always, when she's shooting, is afraid of dropping her phone or something like that. And and so I got her an accessory where it undid the screws to the left and right of the lightning port on the bottom of your phone. And then you put a little uh, leash holder on there and then put and then turn the screws back in and you have like a permanently connected leash holder back there. Unfortunately, it prevented using the iPhone with a dock or anything like that because it added some thickness to the bottom. So I ended up returning the product. But that's something that I actually can see myself using it for, bringing my phone kind of on the go and uh, using it as a camera, not having to worry about, you know, dropping it and breaking it without a case. Especially if I'm using like um, one of those uh, Allo clip adapters where you can't use it with a case. Uh, that's one of those situations where I want to carry my phone around, but I want to feel secure that I'm not going to drop it because this big, stupid phone. Yeah, well, Allo clip is making cases now that work with their camera. Yeah, but who wants to use that stuff? Come on. Well... Everybody's got their own case, and if I have to take the case off for a reason, which I do a lot, uh, I think that the leash connector, if it works uh, for the Apple TV, will be something cool with the iPhone. And I am the only person who cares about that, so there you go. Clearly, you weren't the only person, because that was the uh, the thing about the old iPod Touch, was that it had the little pop-up circle, and you could put the leash on it. Well, then why aren't they marketing this for the iPhone? That, I'm wondering if maybe there's some sort of physical thing. They took thing it off the iPod Touch, man. You, you and that product designer were the only two guys. I know. 
I wonder if it, it'll. I mean, the remote is obviously light, and the tension on lightning is is pretty. It's, it's pretty. Uh, there's a decent it'll amount of friction there. It'll hold up to some there. force, yeah. Well, it's but got the I, I two springs know, on the side. Yeah, I don't know if it'll uh, it'll hold the uh, iPhone if you drop it. It's pretty beefy. Yeah, no, I, I, the weight is what I'm wondering too. I'm wondering maybe this won't work at all. I have no idea uh, until I get my hands on one. But that is where I see myself using it. I'm not going to be tossing my remote around in my house, and I don't really care that much about the remote. But uh, my phone, if I'm using it without a case for something like shooting photos, I could see that being pretty cool. So there you go. Cool. We got a lot of software updates this week. So first of all, have you guys updated all of your devices yet? Yes. Mm, well, I haven't updated my watch yet. Okay, so so your watch is still on Watch OS 2, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you updated your Max to OS 10 10.11.1? Yeah. Yep. Okay, and you yeah, updated all your, your iOS devices to 9.1? Yeah, yep. I've been on the betas too, so... Mikey, were you on the betas, or did you just move from 9.02 to 9.1? Uh, for the point update, I don't usually run the betas. Um, so I, I just moved from the, uh, 9.2 or 9.02. Straight to 9.1. Yeah. And, and how is that for you? Have you noticed any great improvements? No. Well, besides, uh, my ability to send my friends, uh, middle finger emoji constantly throughout the day <laughs> in, a ver- in a variety of, uh, Ethnicities is uh, great. It's great for me. You're not a fan of the taco emoji. Well, I mean, I don't. I don't send my friends a taco emoji. Wow. I save that for other things. That's for special <laughs> occasions. I understand. Um, there's also an interesting emoji that's in there. That's the uh, the eyeball in the speech bubble. Did you see that one? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We 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 got it tip uh, when it when they first discovered or someone first saw it and said what what is this um no one really knew what it was but when it first came out we got a tip that said it was uh for the anti-bullying campaign but it was um unconfirmed but i believe this confirmed now right neil yes yeah so stop bullying guys there's also uh a unicorn emoji a burrito uh, they added a ice hockey one. Um, yeah, who cares? So what is the big update within watchOS 201? Mm, just some bug fixes. It, really, these updates are about supporting the new emoji, some bug fixes, and that's about it. There was a bug on watchOS 2 where like apps wouldn't really install properly or it wasn't remembering your settings and things would go a little wonky when you updated apps on your phone. It would push the install to your watch even if it wasn't installed there. So I think they fixed that. Yeah. I've been having issues installing apps on my watch since the beginning. So, Do you even use third-party apps on your watch? Um. I use a couple. Other than the Apple Insider Apple Watch app, of course. Uh, yes, all the time. <laughs> I like to read my own writings on my watch after the smallest I screen possible. <clears throat> uh, yeah, no. When I, I'd have to sometimes um, uninstall it, or it would say it's installed, but it mm-hmm. obviously wasn't installed. So I'd have to uninstall it on my phone, which would sometimes stall. The entire process, and if it didn't install, then I have to install it again, and I don't know. It was, it was a mess. Oh, and when I uh, updated from 
watchOS one, all my icons got, or my icon icon arrangement got messed up. It got shifted up like one slot or something. You know, think, you can uh, rearrange on your phone, right? It's easier than doing yeah, that. I know. But yeah. no, it was weird because on my phone it was the same arrangement because it um, it brought back the backup on my mm -hmm. phone, but on my watch it was displaying it differently than it had on. Uh, the the layout on my phone, so I had to I had to switch it around on my watch, which is a pain. So we we know that pretty much everyone out there is running largely iOS nine, and some still back on iOS eight. I'm I'm actually one of those. I'm, my primary phone is on eight four one. What should you guys tell me and our listeners like me about upgrading? Victor, I don't know anybody like you, so <laughs> that warms the subcockles of my heart, Neil. But but you know. What, just is there any stuff, reason? Man. Is there any reason that, that we should be holding back at this point? You found a million reasons because nothing works properly for you, but it works fine. Just update. Yeah, I mean the features are great. Right, uh, come on over. <laughs> you know, is is there anything for for people with older devices like a 4s or a 5 that you'd say hold back, or is it pretty much everyone should go ahead and update at this point? I mean, I haven't tried running this stuff on a 4s, and we get emails all the time from people saying that it runs like crap when they update, and all the conspiracy theories of Apple is purposefully hampering the performance of previous generation devices to encourage people to upgrade. I mean, when I upgraded to my 6S, it feels a lot faster than my 6. So, uh, sure, you know, if you're if you're the type of person who's concerned about that stuff, go ahead. But, it, you know, you can turn off certain features, too, like turn off Hey Siri, and I've heard that improves performance for some people and stuff. So if you're still rocking a 4S, um, yeah, you know, I'd say you can try disabling some of the features and see if that helps. But generally, the new features are helpful enough that you want them. Cool. I think people will deal with a performance hit to get the new features. Right. Well, I'm going to consider whether or not I update my phone, and I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> get back with us in six months. The, the the shame of it is that's probably realistic at this point. It's a drawn-out <laughs> process for you, man. It's, well, the, the problem is that Apple stopped signing the old versions, so it's harder to roll back. So I have yeah. one in my hand that is rolled back, and I won't be able to undo it if uh, if I go forward. It's working brilliantly right now. If I go forward and it's garbage, then what have I got? Nothing. The world's smallest violin is playing for you, Victor. I'm aware of that. At the same time, this is my sole communication device. I don't have other ones. You know, my, my alternative is to put a SIM card in a Windows phone. And we know that's not going to go over well. So there you go. Tell me about RunKeeper, Neil. You run a lot. Now, I, I know there's a RunKeeper app for watchOS. Have you have you used that at all? Or are you so looking forward I've to using the... it? I've used the 1.0 RunKeeper watch app for about five minutes and then gave up on it. I, uh, for years, have been an avid RunKeeper user. And then the Apple Watch came out, and it was like, oh, I can transfer all of my or all the music I want to listen to onto the watch, and I can run with the watch, and I can leave my stupid big phone at home. So I'll do that. Uh, but in watchOS 1, you could not have native apps on there, so... Things like RunKeeper didn't work. So if I wanted to run with my phone and use RunKeeper, it was kind of a mess anyhow because you would like start it on the phone from the watch, but you like had to unlock it on the phone, and it seemed like it was laggy. And then 
because of the way that the OS works, going back to the clock face after inactivity, if I raised my wrist up, I wouldn't see the thing, so I'd have to change it to work differently, and, and then I have to change it back. It was a nightmare. I, I, didn't, I didn't like it at all. Yes, so today... Uh, RunKeeper is finally updated for Watch OS 2, which means it's a native app on there, which means that you're going to be able to run and uh, track your runs and have it estimate uh, with the built-in pedometer and all that and track your heart rate uh, and input all that data into the uh, health kit. And it also shares it with the Activities app on the Watch, so it counts towards your ring goals and all that kind of stuff. So I'm very excited for this. I haven't used it yet because the update just came out at uh, 11 o'clock today. But I'm going to run with it uh, hopefully today or this weekend and give it a shot and see how it goes. And I can report back to you guys and let you know. But very excited to uh, start using it. and Because I, I have a ton of tracked runs for years on RunKeeper. And I haven't been using it because I like to run with just my watch. And I like using the Activities app from Apple, even though it's not perfect. So now uh, I kind of get the best of both worlds. The only thing I'm concerned about, and I don't think that they can address this, is the returning to the watch face after an activity. Um, you have to change the settings on the watch to uh, when you raise your wrist to show the last app versus showing the clock face. So that may be an issue that I contend with, but we'll report back and let you guys know. Excellent. Now, what we were talking about phone performance a few minutes ago when I was talking about my travails and trying to update my phone or not. And one of the things that people commonly recommend is that I should go ahead and double-press the home button and swipe up to dismiss apps, to quit them. And you published a tip, didn't you, Neil? Ah! Didn't you? It was a really popular tip. I mean, it had a ton of comments. It had a lot of feedback. It it got like 4,000 shares on Facebook. and uh, That's amazing. They loved it. it. They loved it, didn't they? Uh... I don't know where to start on this, so I'll just I'll be <laughs> first of all. As first can. of all, tell us what the tip is. the The point is, I'm I'm swiping up to dismiss these apps, quit them, or force quit them, whatever the right term is. Yeah, you know, when I write a tip like this, I try to make it as simple as possible without going into all the technical wizardry of it, because these kind of articles are very popular with readers, and they also tend to appeal to a broad audience of people who don't care how it works; they just want to know what they should do. And so our tips tend to be geared toward those types of readers, of which we have many. And uh, we also have a lot of technical readers who know the inner workings of iOS and their phone and all that kind of stuff, and they have opinions as well. So I wrote a piece basically just telling people, uh, if you are constantly double-tapping, double-pressing, I should say, the home button and accessing the quick app switcher and swiping up on apps to close them all out, regardless of whether they're running in the background or doing anything or or crashed or whatever, uh, that is a bad habit and you should stop doing that because it's pointless. It's absolutely pointless. Well, so wait, it's it's not a bad habit. It's just an unnecessary habit, right? There's nothing bad about this. It's just a waste of time. It could be a bad habit. You could be forced closing apps that you don't want to force close. Uh, You're losing, uh, uh, if they're saved in some sort of a stasis, then you lose that. Uh, iOS does some, you know, management stuff behind the scenes. There are reasons to just not touch it, but there are reasons to to close it, even if it's not running in the background too. There's a lot of people who commented who uh, like to access their most frequently used apps from there, so they close out ones that are less frequently used, and it's an easy way for them to reaccess those apps without going back to the home screen. And that's a perfectly justifiable explanation. 
the purpose of the tip was not to tell people to never swipe up on apps ever and close them. Clearly, apps will crash. Clearly, uh, sometimes they just get stuck and you got to do something. Uh, clearly, sometimes, you know, uh, something is used in your location in the background and you don't want it and you're trying to fix that stuff. There are a multitude of reasons to swipe up on apps. But if you are in the habit of just swiping up on everything to close out apps, to force close all of them, and to uh, and you think it's going to save battery life and you think it's going to save... Um, uh, 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 it's going to make your phone run faster, you're wrong. You're just wrong. And there's a lot of people who completely disagree with that. And from their own personal experiences, they, you know, it's like, it's like people get an oil change and feel like their car drives faster, you know, just because you're conscious of it, you're, you're projecting in some way. Um, it just doesn't work that way. And there are some people in the comments who even thought that when they restart their phone, that everything that they were running before is still running. And, you know, it's just a lack of understanding how OS works and software and all that. Um, so I love our readers, uh, even the ones that are know-it-alls. And uh, I thank them very much for their input. The ones that were rude, like the dude who emailed me and called me an idiot and told me I should go to school, uh, and people in the comments who... Uh, <laughs> said the one who said you're 12 years old? Yeah, that you know, was there's one of my some favorites. more inflammatory stuff, which, I mean... Thankfully, I've been doing this for a while, uh, and I have thick skin, um, so I'm not really that worried about right. it. But. You're an idiot. Go back to school and learn about the Apple operating system. All apps must be closed for the phone to function properly and good battery life. Bonehead. Yeah. Have a wonderful yeah. day. That was good. Yeah. You know, Please consider removing your article from the aforementioned site. Your basis of right. proof is incorrect. When you shut down an application, OS included, you can dump an application state to storage. From there, you can reinitialize it when the OS has completed the reboot. You have a lot of fans. Yeah, yeah. Hey, there was one guy on, on Twitter yesterday, though, who said that he loves my rants on the podcast. So at least I have one fan out there. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen. A lot of people are very passionate about this, and they're going to keep swiping up on their apps because they're convinced that this works. And let's be real. This is partially a design flaw by Apple that has been in the OS for a long time because it doesn't make it clear what's running in the background. Now, one of the most common comments that was on that article, which is correct but misses the point, are people saying that apps like Waze and Google Maps and Apple Maps will run in the background and use a lot of battery. Well, yes, they're using your location. And you know how you know that they're using your location? Because there's an arrow icon in the upper right-hand corner of your screen at any moment that any app on your phone is using your location. There are a couple of kinds out, of classes. I, I want to say there are a couple of kinds of classes that can sure. run in the background. So so you right. can have a, a, a mapping application, a location-based application, like you said, Waze, Maps, sure. whatever. And that does have the indicator. But the other class of application that stays open in the background is the, the voice over IP or the telephony kind of application like Skype. Any audio can be in the background too, yep. Right, and audio and audio recording. Now, audio recording, you get indication because there will be a bar up at the status bar showing red, red and application is recording. But, yes. and, and when you're connected to CarPlay, you'll get a blue bar at the top, things like that. But the, uh, the voice applications like Skype do not give you any good indication. No, they give you a red bar at the top for Skype. If you close Skype and it's in the background and it's in a live call, it's using the mic, there's a... In a live a call, but when it's not in a live call, but in the background waiting to receive a live call, it's just sitting there. I, I think that uses the push notification server, though. It doesn't run the full app in the background. Mm. So that you would get... I mean, you, you, don't, you, wouldn't, you could restart your phone and you, still get, you don't have to launch Skype to get a notification. Now, there are some apps that purposefully run in the background, and there's a lot of, like, power user stuff that, yes... 
again, I'm not saying there's not a reason to swipe up on it and force close apps. That's not the point. The point is I see people all the time. I see it at the Genius Bar at the Apple Store. Apple did not do a very good job of creating uh, a distinction between what's running and what's not. And people think that every, and I've heard this from countless people, that every single app card that you see when you double press the home button is an app that is currently running in the background. They think that all of them are running in the background, and that is not what it is. It is a quick app switcher, period. That's what it is. Now, if you swipe up, it also is a way to force close an app. But you're not always force closing apps when you're swiping up because some of them aren't even running. Most of them aren't. So you could go back and, I mean, you could restart your phone a thousand times, double press the home button, and you'll be able to scroll back and see apps you opened six months ago. It's just the order of apps that you've used recently. That's all it is. Okay. I get it. You don't have to beat me up over this anymore. Well, I, I, but, I, you know, <laughs> people were so upset about this, and it's like, you missed the point. In the article I said, turn off background app refresh if you want to save battery life. Lower your screen brightness. Do things that are actually going to prevent things from running in the background. Because background app refresh will drain your battery. If you have Facebook and you launch it all the time, iOS will try to save you some loading time and load it automatically in the background to give you the latest data. So when you load up Facebook, you get to see the latest hilarious meme that somebody shared or something. So, yeah, turn that crap off and you'll help your battery life. But just just arbitrarily force closing every app every time you use your phone is it's it doesn't make any sense and it doesn't do anything it's not saving your battery life it's not helping you and it's a bad habit to get into and most general users who are tip articles are meant for should not be doing it i want to talk a little bit about realty shares realty shares was very kind and sponsored the show this week you work hard for your money, so you should get a solid return on your investments without doing a lot of work. You should check out RealtyShares at RealtyShares.com slash Apple Insider. RealtyShares is an online real estate marketplace that lets you invest in private real estate investments vetted by investment professionals. You can invest as little as $1,000 in different transactions, diversify your risk, and participate in both short- and long-term investments. To learn more and join thousands of other successful investors, visit RealtyShare.com slash Apple Insider. Apple Music, right? We talked about Apple Music the past couple of times, and Apple Music has... Well, Mike, you wrote this article. It was about the number of subscribers that they've got. Go ahead and tell me about it. Um, well, Tim Cook said at the uh, Wall Street Journal uh, WSJD Live uh, conference, uh, he let slip a couple numbers on Apple Music, and uh, basically there's... A little over 15 million subs or users now, uh, 6.5 million of which are paying subscribers. So um, I guess we now have some hard evidence as to how well their foray into streaming music is going. I believe that uh, someone did the calculations and uh, about half of the original uh, users who first signed up did not re-up for the pay service, um, which uh, that sounds about right to me. So did you up for the paid service? Yes, I did. Cool. And, and Neil, did you subscribe? Uh, no. No. No, okay. I prefer to own my music. I don't even use Apple Music. I What I do is... Um, I use Spotify on my Mac to sample an album and see if I like it. So I'll listen to it with ads for the free Spotify service. And then if I like it, I'll buy it on iTunes or Amazon or something. And if I really like it, then I'll buy it on vinyl. And 
uh, I usually try to buy uh, only vinyl that comes with a digital download code. So sometimes that's an insert in the packaging, and sometimes if you buy from Amazon, that comes with their auto-rip service. And then I subscribe to iTunes Match, so anything that I buy that's not on iTunes is uh, stored in the cloud. You aren't seriously moving around with a ton of vinyl, are you? <laughs> no. You, you, you are the ultimate in, in minimization. You, know, like you, you fit yeah. your whole life into two suitcases because you travel to different apartments all the time. I, I, I like uh, owning physical things, um, and I have no use for CDs, obviously, and I prefer having MP3s. Uh, so I, I just I like buying vinyl and having it. I like the big album art and the experience of putting on the record player and stuff, and I, I like music, so I guess it's kind of romanticized for me. But no, I, I don't travel with my vinyl. That would be funny. No, I, I, I was mental block trying to to reconcile these two ideas of you being the ultra minimalist and yet carting around huge stacks of vinyl well i I mean i'm minimalist when i travel but when i'm home i like to have my things vinyl's had a resurgence in recent years and you can buy any new albums on vinyl they all come out on vinyl now and most of them come with digital download codes and that's an area where i wish apple would kind of embrace it and do like uh uh the the uh, itunes digital copies that they do with blu-rays uh, mm-hmm. That would be nice if they did an iTunes digital copy for uh, physical music that you purchase. Steve Jobs liked to listen to vinyl. It's not that far-fetched of a concept, so... Eh. Well, which Steve I don't Jobs, think it'll ever happen, but... Right? Which era? Did he listen to vinyl in his later years, or did he listen to vinyl when we saw mm-hmm. him doing the uh, the old pictures in the apartment kind of thing? I think I read an interview, maybe it was in Walter Isaacson's book, where he talked about how he had a fondness for vinyl, but maybe I'm making that up. I don't know, but... It'll never happen. It's one of those things that, uh, that only I care about, which seems to be a lot of things these days. So, uh, I, I, I think that Apple Music is off to a pretty good start. Uh, Spotify has about 20 million subscribers. Apple Music has about a third of that after three months on the market. Spotify has been around for years, is on m- many more devices than Apple Music currently is, uh, and has promotion and branding behind it that Apple hasn't quite yet achieved. So, uh, I would say, uh, good on Apple. Nice job. Good launch. Yeah, that's that's a six. I mean, this was never going to move the needle, right? You got six point five million people paying ten bucks a month. Come on, for a company that's uh, that's going to sell what seventy five million iPhones next quarter, it's not even a drop in the bucket. <laughs> this hobby. is not. A, yeah, this is just this is something that they do to build out the ecosystem. It's something the company's passionate about. They've always been involved in music, and it allows them to stay relevant in that market. Uh, there's a group of consumers that would rather rent their music and pay a monthly fee for it and have unlimited access than buy it. And for those people, it's a it's a good product, so good for them. Now, Apple made some recent hires, right? You wrote a story about Apple hiring key personnel from an electric motorcycle startup. And it's it's my understanding, did I read this right, that they hired enough people that it basically shuttered the startup? What happened here? <laughs> I mean, there were only like 35 people working there. So how many people did you need to hire to shut them down, right? This was a this was kind of a silly story. People who used to work at this motorcycle company said that Apple's poaching was the reason that they went out of business. SBS. <sighs> you know, uh, Mikey, uh, you, you were telling me that you actually uh, had followed this company. You're pretty, you were pretty interested in their product, right? Yeah, I was waiting for them to release the, uh, the M1. Are you, uh, do you ride motorcycles? Yeah. And, but I mean, they've been struggling from the beginning. So. It's a chopper, baby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do, do, you, do you ride motorcycles? Yeah. 
Okay. He's a badass. I guess. Uh, I don't. I don't crash them like Dan though. So here, well, that's here better. is. Oh jeez. Here is uh, uh, the truth of why this story is interesting. That uh, the angle that we covered it from that uh, uh, you didn't read anywhere else. Apple is hiring for their electric car project, Project Titan. And we have a source who told us uh, about a month ago uh, that Apple's hiring has been so aggressive that it's been pushing back Tesla's projects. So this is something that's affecting companies on a big scale. Now, this is a small example of it with a company that really nobody had heard of before a couple days ago. But uh, the truth of it is Apple is hiring on it in a big way. And it is affecting uh, companies in a big way. And our source told us that uh, it's affecting Tesla in a big way, um, just in terms of the aggressive recruitment that's going on. So I think that's the most interesting angle here. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not sure if you heard, but uh, Elon Musk said that that is incorrect. <laughs> I Tweet did at us hear again, that. Elon. We, we talked about that last week. But, uh, <laughs> you know, this isn't the first one. When, when I saw this story, the first thing that I thought of was, was Atlas Wearables, which Mikey wrote a right. story about last year. Yeah. And, and, you know, their Atlas wearables is a, a, of course, wearable device meant for fitness. And Apple poached one of their lead software engineers back at a time before the Apple Watch was released. So, you know, they, they, they do go seek out the best people at the most interesting new idea kind of companies and bring them on board to bolster their own products. Yeah, boohoo, who cares? <laughs> some small company, some small company that's teetering on the brink isn't going to stay in business. Maybe their business model is to hope to get acquired. Some big company comes along with paychecks and offers it to the employees. Employees say, hmm, I could stay here and we could go under and I'm screwed. Or I can take a job at the largest company on the planet. What do you think right. they're going to do? I right. mean, that, that's capitalism. Stick it around I like for three years companies. for my options to vest or <laughs> get paid. I like small companies. I like startups. I like new ideas. But capitalism's capitalism. And if Apple's coming in and they're offering jobs and people want to take them, that's just the way it's going to go. So too bad for Atlas. Too bad for this motorcycle company. Who cares? Well, Atlas has managed to stay in business. They still say they're going and they still say they're launching. So good for them. But uh, yeah, that's great. Then adapt, adapt and evolve. That's the way it goes. Yeah. I want my electric motorcycle, Neil. <laughs> yeah, Neil. Give him an electric motorcycle. All right. So, talking about capitalism, talking about business, SoftLayer delivers a cloud built for transparency. Your business, your applications, your computational workloads are unique, so you deserve cloud resources that meet your specific needs. And SoftLayer is one of the only cloud providers that provisions dedicated servers and virtual servers from a single seamless platform, on demand, all connected to the same open API, to a global private network. All of our listeners have the opportunity to get $500 of cloud infrastructure by visiting softlayer.com slash podcast with a capital P. You can order bare metal servers, virtual servers, storage, networking, and security services from your choice of data center from across 24 data centers around the world. Visit softlayer.com slash podcast with a capital P to get started with your $500 off servers, storage, network, and security on a cloud built for transparency from Softlayer. Now, also speaking about business, right, more Chinese applications violated Apple's rules and have been pulled from the App Store. Now, the, Roger wrote this story for us on the site this week, and the, the first thing I, I worry about as a reader when I see this is, is this something that I should be concerned about? What, what does this even mean, Neil? I, I, the Apple has specific rules for what apps can and cannot do. 
Um, and this is very different, by the way, from the previous Chinese exploit, which is where apps were made with malicious code and were going much further than this. Right. So uh, this is third-party app APIs illegally collected data from hundreds of app store titles. So, so what kind of data were they collecting? Do we know? It was an advertising uh, SDK that they were using. It was 256 apps that w- were found by this group, Source DNA. They were downloaded about a million times. Uh, they, it was collecting serial numbers, email addresses, and gathering lists of installed apps, all of which are in violation of Apple's uh, developer policy. So developer broke the rules, uh, and Apple pulled the apps, and presumably they'll get 40 lashes. Right, and so Apple's probably going to keep looking out for this kind of thing and clamping down on it. But presumably the, the, the worst damage, if there was any damage at all to a user, was that your email address was collected, your serial number of devices was collected, and the list of applications you have installed was collected? Yeah. So Just, It's tracking stuff for it's, advertising. It's tracking, but it's not as sensitive as, as other information could have been. And presumably you had to insert your email address into the app and stuff too, since that stuff wouldn't be accessible, you know, so uh, it, it, this is not as serious of a deal as the malware uh, China issue from last month. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's a, it's a separate kind of problem and much less sensitive. But, you know, how many applications ask you to put your email address in? So many, right? You get open application, the first thing they do is either connect with Facebook or give us your email, right? Mm. Tons of them. Just huge amounts. And, and so I can see why that's a concern. But... Um, but I, I don't feel too bad about this one. I don't feel at ease, you know, ill at ease about this. No, and this only affects apps in China, too. So for those of you listening that don't live in China, you're okay. Oh, that's a relief. Thank you. <laughs> now, we had some video on our site this week. And I love these videos. When we fly drones out there, it's great. So we had videos showing that the Apple campus has, has the new construction has reached the top floor. Now, Dan wrote that for us. Um, what's, what's, you know, it looks to me when I'm looking at this as if there's, there's parts that are incomplete where the sections of the ring join, but it looks like it's reached the total height. Um, that's pretty quick, isn't it? I believe it's six months. Um, I mean, it, the, the, in, the innards have not been filled out, so it's basically a, a steel skeleton right now. Um, but, I was, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty it's pretty quick by U.S. standards, um, and they've been kind of putting uh, prodding the, the the developers from what we hear uh, to get the job done since it's already running grossly over budget. Uh, they want to f- uh, finish part of it by 2016 so they can at least start moving employees in. Um, so I think they're, they're on track to do so. It looks like they're going to build out the dining hall and some main offices first. So those you got to think that they want to get in their ASAP because they're running out of space. Well, I mean, they just keep buying other places. Yeah. They they have too many employees already for campus too. They're buying a lot around San Jose and, and with all the projects they have going on and new hires and all that kind of stuff, they're just growing. Yeah, so, uh, well, so much money. Well, you know, when they first planned this thing, it was probably 2010. They first pitched it to the uh, the, the city council 
of Cupertino mm-hmm. in 2011, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's entirely possible that they've totally outgrown their whole expectations when they planned it, their, their uh, projections. Uh, and they have had some delays, right? There was that uh, delay where they were having issues with the workers and, mm-hmm. and one supplier of labor. One, mm-hmm. and, and so it's, it's really both good that they've come this far, but at the same time, I, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if, if they're, they've already outstripped all the space they're building. Probably. That's probably why they're buying all this place up in San Jose. Yeah. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't meant to house surplus workers. Like Even when they first started, there were much more staff on hand in Cupertino and surrounding areas than would fit in campus, too. So I don't think their plan was to move everybody into one area. It would be just far too many people. Mm-hmm. You, you, you think, you think the goal was to just reorganize around groups that have to work together to put them closer in proximity? Yeah, I mean, that's what the whole building's about, right? It's a big circle. It's a donut. And uh, it, was, it's, it was designed to facilitate uh, co-mingling of certain departments and, you know, the way you have to walk through the building. It would... Uh, urge people to talk to each other, make, you know, impromptu uh, meetings and conversations, facilitate ideas and stuff like that. So um, it's more of a design concept than something like a regular big old square office building. Because if there's one thing Apple's known for, it's sharing of information and ideas around, right? Yes. Well, I'm, I'm sure there will be... Uh, clear delineations between departments, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, they, they have the had secret. some departments that are pretty much locked off from everyone else. But yeah, I wonder where the secret stuff's going to be. Uh, I imagine the secret stuff. Well, I mean, they could move it, but uh, you know, currently it's it's in on the Infinite Loop campus. You don't think Johnny Ive wants to get some new digs? Well, they well. Um, the opportunity to have new digs that are, are designed is probably a good allure, yeah. Well, it's yeah. not all on the Infinite Loop campus. Uh, the the design team stuff? Well, I mean, the... Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about the... I'm talking about the, like, the design skunk works. John, Johnny Ive yeah. stuff, that's Infinite Loop, isn't it? Right, yeah, yeah. that is. But I'm, but I'm saying, like, currently the uh, Project Titan Apple yeah. Car stuff is not on the campus. Yeah, no. that's uh, spread all over uh, yeah. True, and it's also not sort of. I mean, it's it's not really an officially known kind of thing, right? They haven't announced anything about it, so it's not. No, but I mean, there's so many campus people anyway. There, there's so many people working on this that it's beyond just the pie in the sky phase. So this week's episode has been brought to you by IgluSoftware.com, and IgluSoftware is is making an internet that can be customized to look amazing, have responsive design, and be optimized for all the devices you're using share files, coordinate calendars, provide status updates, and manage projects. So it's it's not just the traditional stuff that you find in internets for a company like corporate HR policies and expense forms. It's it's about working better together with your teams. And so what they're doing is they're making it available to our listeners with a free trial at igloosoftware.com slash insider. And honestly, if you've ever used one, this sounds so much better than any of the ones that I ever had to use back in the day. 
the idea of, of working on the iPhone and being responsive and being about collaboration and not just these are the policies being handed down sounds incredible. So I, I like the idea of it, and I thank them for sponsoring us. Neil, you published a first look on the uh, the inboard M1 skateboard. And I mean, I, I hit the button to publish it. You, but you pressed, you wrote the thing. I, yeah, I actually you're saw the, one, the thing. You're the one who wrote on it. <laughs> uh, for some definitions of road. I, uh, I, I got a chance to ride the inboard M1 skateboard. And first of all, some of the things that struck me as being cool about it were the ability to replace the batteries in it. It uses a, a lithium battery that goes in the top of the deck. There's no battery bulge on the bottom. And, and some of these ones that I've seen have had motors that have been mounted underneath the deck that drive the wheels with belts or, or whatever. This, the motors are built into the rear wheels, which seemed really cool because they're direct drive, so there's no motor slop. It's, it's once you just trigger go, it goes. And I liked it. You know, I, I am not an avid skateboarder. I never have been. But for me, as a new user who is not a good skateboarder, the beauty of getting on this thing was that I was able to control my speed going forward, but I was also to use, able to use regenerative braking. And because I was able to do that to slow myself down, I felt like I had really good control. I was really confident about getting on it. And I rode it around uh, the, the uh, pavilion at Fort Mason in San Francisco and felt really good about it. You know, I was driving it around all these people and all these booths set up and things, and, and I didn't worry about crashing into anyone. I didn't worry about tripping and falling off the board. It was awesome. Now, and did so, you control it with the iPhone app or with the physical controller? I controlled it with the physical controller because that was already paired to the board. Uh, right. They showed me pairing the iPhone to the board, and it was near instantaneous. One of the things that I like about the iPhone controller is that you have to, to, to get into its control mode, you have to put your thumb down and hold so that it enters this control mode. And then you can't get out of that unless you hit a smaller X in a specific place on the screen, upper left corner or something. Yeah. So you, you can't accidentally leave controller mode, which is good. And the other thing that I liked about it is that if you touch anywhere on the screen, that becomes the origin point for whether or not you're swiping to go forward or reverse. Right, yeah. So you don't have to look at the phone to control it. Anywhere on the screen is going to allow you to control it. Yeah, and I like that you can lock the wheels on the board, too, with your phone. So... Uh... Nobody could use it if they steal it. The, the other thing that was cool for me was that they have several different modes. They have a beginner mode, an intermediate mode, where you can control the acceleration and the maximum speed. So, you know, for me, starting out, I can go ahead and pick a profile that's got a much slower max speed. And for you, because you're an experienced rider, you can go <laughs> ahead and let it loose. And I thought that was a really cool thing because it means that, that you sort of grow as your abilities grow. Yeah, this is a really cool-looking product, and I'm excited to get my hands on it. We've been talking with Inboard, and uh, the the M1, as it's called, is uh, shipping next April to consumers. I think you can pre-order it now. I think the main knock on this product is its price. What is it, $1,400, Victor? 1300 $1, yes. 1300 yeah. Uh, man, that's a lot of money for an electric skateboard, but... Hey, uh, swappable battery, sleek design, uh, the motors and the wheels, pretty cool. Uh, I'm a fan. I, I reviewed the uh, Unique Ego is what it's called. Uh, Y-U-N-E-E-C is how they spell it. Uh, I reviewed that last year, and I love the thing. Uh, it's cheaper, but not as sleek. Uh, it's $700. Uh, 
and uh, you can ride like 15 miles an hour on it, and it goes uh, over 10 miles on one charge. You can control it with your iPhone. It doesn't have the ability to uh, lock the wheels, uh, but same idea. You can tap anywhere on the screen and push your thumb up to accelerate and, and down to brake. And a uh, ton of fun to ride. It also comes with a physical remote that you can use as well, um, which would probably be preferable for most people. But if you lose the remote or in a pinch, you want to use your phone. It's a pretty neat feature to have. So, yeah, these, yeah. these connected devices, they're, they're, they're uh, interesting. They're different ways of tapping into the Bluetooth on the phone and, and uh, using your phone in ways that you may not have thought of. And, and that's why I find these products to be interesting. Yeah, and, and this board, yes, it costs more, but it has a, a bit more in capabilities range too, right? It's 24 miles per hour max speed. Right. It's it's also a 10-mile range. And in their app, they give you a map with a radius showing you just how far you can go kind of thing. Yeah, and, and this one's a little heavier too, but it's got a sleek design, and the ability to swap the battery is pretty cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to try this one out. I think it, it looks like a really great product. They're ramping up for production now. And if you live in a city and don't own a car, don't want to get a car, man, these things are a great way to get around. A lot of fun. Do you ride them on the sidewalk? Are you riding them on the pavement? Uh, uh, so if I, I have not ridden one in New York City yet, but if I were to ride one here, I would ride it in, in the roads. I mean, the cars don't go that fast, and I would go down you know, side roads and stuff. I'm not going to... Yeah, so New York City just dropped street. the speed limit to 25 miles an hour, didn't they? Yeah, and I mean, people ride their bikes along here pretty easily and, uh, you know, ride skateboards down the street. I see it all the time, just kind of going with traffic. So, uh, you know, ride safe, wear a helmet, put a case on your phone if you're using it. And, uh, yeah, you know, you don't have to work. You don't have to work up a sweat uh, kicking along. And it's easy. You can attach to the back of a backpack and just kind of cruise around town. Fun way to get around. Uh, really, really, really fun. Yeah, I, I think we're thinking about the expense thing all wrong. You know, the uh, and one of our commenters on the, the forums said this, where originally, way back, right, the Segway was the ideal people mover of the future. <laughs> the Segway was going to be this thing that everyone would ride around the cities. And those yeah. were, were four or five, all the way up to $7,000. Yeah. Right? And And so clearly that didn't catch on. But here you have the motorized skateboard. It's a form factor people know. It's a form factor people accept. And you're talking about 1300 And we're saying that's too much. And yet people did buy Segways. Yeah, prices on this kind of stuff are going to come down too. I think, you know, for some people, once something like this uh, hits like, you know, years down the road, a $500 price range, it's going to be kind of a no-brainer. You can compare it to drones back when I first started testing out like the DJI stuff, those things cost like $2,500. Now you can get a DJI drone for like 700 bucks. So uh, the prices are inevitably going to come down as adoption goes up and uh, uh, manufacturing expertise and that kind of stuff. So it'll get there. But like, yeah, like you said, $1,300 when you compare it to something like a Segway or if you're using it in place of a car, I mean, let's not, let's be real 10 miles is a long way to go for and that's going to cover most people's commutes during the day uh, especially if you live in an area where you could ride a board so yeah i think for some people it'll be cost effective plus no gasoline or anything like that you just plug it into a wall but everyone uses hoverboards now <laughs> oh god don't even uh okay hoverboards are cool right but no no you're wrong. They're they're totally. Well, and who was it? Was it out? Was it Audi that did that? Who who did the Lexus had the magnetic Lexus. one that required the the uh, liquid nitrogen refueling all the time. And it's uh they they had to build an entire skate park. Well, that's because they had to embed the magnets in the ground for it to work. And even then, when you jump on it, it would still. Uh, well, yeah. Well, those are. I mean, no. Scrape. I'm talking about. I'm talking. 
<laughs> I'm not talking about actual hoverboards. Oh, you know, about Back to the Future Day. I'm talking you're, about, you're, you're talking uh, about the single wheel that's a, a balancing Segway board. Yeah, or or the single wheel. That, but I think the two wheel ones are catching on because they're cheap. Oh yeah, yeah. The two wheel ones are Chinese like, garbage. You can get them for like a hundred bucks though, and everybody's got yeah. them. They're they're hilarious. The, the hundred buck ones flex when you stand on them. There there are I some know. that are four hundred that have metal substructures and subframes. And don't flex, but I uh, see a lot of those around in New York City, and I also see the single wheel ones where uh, it's just a wheel with pegs on the side, yeah. And you stand on it. You got to learn to balance on it, and there's no seat. You just stand on it. Have you seen that? You you sort of pinched it in your between your ankles, yeah. And yeah, I see them. I see them around all the time. Yeah. Okay. There's there's also a single one that's a deck with a wheel in the middle. Like like a skateboard with one wheel in the middle. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that one as well. Yeah. Um, my my concern about these kinds of things is that you have cities that have inclines, right? You have a city that yeah. has, you know, San Francisco. God help us, it has inclines. Right. You're not going to get up the hill in these things. No. Some of them do. Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know how strong they are. So don't they go up to? They go up to. I I think like the ones that I was looking at were were only able to climb a fifteen degree incline, which is not San Francisco. San Francisco right, is way steeper yeah. than that. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on where you live. For some people, this is going to be you know a no brainer of a purchase. Uh, I, I wish that uh, when I tested the, the board last year, um, I tested it in Orlando, but a few months before that, I was living in Saint Petersburg, Florida. Uh, kind of in the downtown area, and I wish that they had sent me the skateboard there because that would be a great town to ride around in, on on the board. Uh, Orlando, not so much, but uh, uh, yeah. So it depends on the town you're in, really. Orlando's not really good for anything, though, right? <laughs> it's good for losing money going to Disney. Just yes. offended our <sighs> Orlando listeners, Mikey. They don't listen to podcasts there. I I am technically an Orlando <laughs> resident. That's what my ID says. So I'm sorry. I've earned the right to say that. One of the things that, that always comes up when we used to talk Mac versus PC and now we talk iOS and, and especially the new Apple TV is, is gaming. And for gaming on the Mac, you, you really, the, one of the first places you look is Steam, right? Mm. So Valve shipped a controller and they shipped the ability to, to send Steam games to the TV and use the Steam Link controller. And Jason got that and took a first look at it. Um, what what are the kinds of things he found when he did that, Mikey? Um, well, he found that while decent as far as design goes, it just doesn't work right now with OS X, uh, OS ten. Sorry. Um, so I'm not. I mean, I'm did not they- really one for the uh, for the controllers. I don't use them with uh, my Mac. I, I'm mostly a console kind of guy, um, but uh, Valve, who is you know the parent company of Steam, um, they confirmed that they will be bringing emulation to Max in the future. Okay, but right now, no, no. So, so my understanding is that they, they realized they shipped a broken product. They gave all the people who bought it a $100 uh, value complete pack to make up for the broken product, and people can return the, key, the hardware or, and, and still keep the, the, the gift. So that's kind of nice of them. But, Neil, you're, you're also a console gamer, right? You, you're familiar with controllers, and, and so what do you guys think of 
the controller. Now, I know Roger had the hands-on, or Jason had the hands-on. I'm sorry, Jason had the hands-on. But you guys see this thing. What does it look like to you compared to your Xbox or your PlayStation, the controllers that you favor? I mean, it's doing something different, and I like that. Uh, so it's got a couple touch pads on there in addition to a traditional joystick, um, which are they're, they're hoping to uh, make it easier to play uh, games like uh, real-time strategy games, which have just never really translated well to console style gameplay. Those are games that are meant to be played with a mouse and keyboard. Um, you know, Mikey said that he's more of a console gamer. I'm more the same way. And so the purpose of this product, really the controller, um, and, uh, I guess to, uh, the same extent, the, uh, uh, the accessory that streams games to your TV, um, the, these are meant for people who prefer console style games and it allows them to kind of bridge the gap between, playing on your TV and playing on your PC or Mac or whatever. And so a lot of gamers will connect a traditional controller um, and play games on their PC that way. I just buy it for an Xbox or something like that just because I don't have time for the hassle of setting up a game, configuring the settings, uh, you know, t tweaking it, getting to run right. And a lot of these games are ports too. Like I remember there was a fiasco a couple months ago with a new Batman game and they released it on PC and it just didn't work. To the point that Warner Brothers, the publisher, had to just pull the game um, and make it so it wasn't available for sale. But most of those games that are made traditionally for consoles, people just play them with a controller on their computer anyhow because it tends to control better that way. So this is kind of just a way for Valve to try to grow their market and bridge the gap between those console gamers and PC gamers who tend to be very different style of gamers. Um, and it, it's supposed to work with Mac, but it doesn't out of the box. So... Valve is going to give free games to Mac owners who bought a Steam Link and can't use it yet. Uh, and that's cool. I mean, Valve's a pretty good company, and they've earned their reputation for being great. So uh, I don't know how big of a market there is for this. The controller looks interesting. I haven't tried it. Uh, but I'm not in a huge rush to get it, I guess. Yeah, for me, I just like watching where their strategy's going. You know, they, they've talked about the Steam Box, which is a Linux-powered Steam console kind of thing with their years. own OS, yeah. With well, it's it's a Linux-based OS running their Steam on top of it, and you know they they always gave out the recipe. Here's the motherboard you buy. Here's the system you buy. Here's the graphics adapter you buy. Go and build your own Steam box. Here's the OS, and they were going to market the Steam box. Now they're really but they are the it's Steam coming out Link. next month. Yeah, no, so it's coming out the Steam box comes out next month too. So the Steam box is made by a variety of manufacturers. Uh, the biggest one, I guess, is Dell Alienware. Um, and it's just a computer in a small box that you can put in front of your TV, but it's just traditional PC parts. And the idea of the Steam box is for somebody who maybe wants Xbox-style gaming, but they want to access to PC games, just plug this thing into your TV. It works just like an Xbox. The Steam OS uh, has what's called Big Picture Mode, which is TV-friendly, makes it easy to navigate um, and kind of get around and launch your games with just a controller. You don't need a mouse and a keyboard. The Steam Link offloads the processing to your Mac or your PC or your Linux computer. So you could have a Mac Pro or a iMac or a MacBook Pro or whatever in the other room. And then if you had it connected over the same router, preferably over Ethernet, uh, it would stream the processing power from your computer to just a little set-top box device on your TV and allow you to play the game on your TV that way. And it's a cheap $50 little box that you use with that, and then the controller is another 50 But you can use it with uh, other controllers, too. You can use it with the uh, Xbox 360 Windows controller, I believe, as well. 
Cool. Yeah, I, I just think it's it's interesting for me because I've always seen this as sort of a, a, a PC gaming versus console gaming and Mac gaming where Mac gaming has always been a lesser thing. This is a very cool move for Steam. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always hopeful and optimistic about this kind of stuff. Yeah, Valve has done a pretty good job of supporting the Mac. All of their games that have, not, not that they release a lot of games these days, unfortunately, but uh, since they debuted uh, Steam on the Mac, um, Valve has made uh, Mac games launch day and date with PC. So uh, progress is being made, and uh, it's a good thing for people that game on the Mac. Brilliant. Well, on that note, this has been your Apple Insider Podcast. We've been recording here on Thursday, October 22nd, 2015. Mikey, where can people find you on the internet? At Apple Insider and also on Twitter at MikeyCampbell81. Neil, where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can read my uh, tips that will piss you off at Apple Insider. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter where you can tell me how much you hate me at This Is Neil. All right. And if Neil publishes any more tips that get 4,000 shares on Facebook, we'll be sure to let you know it all about it next week on the Apple Insider Podcast. This week's episode has also been brought to you by Realty Shares. With Realty Shares, in just a few minutes, you can invest professionally vetted real estate investments. Join thousands of other investors by registering at no cost at realtyshares.com slash Apple Insider. Browse all the investments at no cost once you're qualified, invest as little as 1,000 per transaction, and diversify your portfolio in minutes by visiting realtyshares.com slash Apple Insider. Realty Shares has already returned over $10 million to investors to date. Visit realtyshares.com slash Apple Insider. <laughs>